Hi, <laughs> welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present on history.org. This is Behind the Scenes. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. We're on location at Jamestown Island again this week, and this time we're joined by Bly Straub, who is Senior Archaeological Curator at Jamestown Island. Bly, thank you for being with us today. Oh, you're welcome. Well, we talked to Bill Kelso last, who um, deals with the dig outside, and it sounds like everything that gets dug up on the site outside comes to you in your lab. Yes, it does. We have to look at everything. Um, First step is washing, of course. We've got to get that 400-year-old dirt off of things so we can really look up close. Um, we are behind in washing. We're actually still washing, even though they've pretty much finished up outside on the site. But that, that's expected. That's part of, of it. So the feature that's being excavated right now is a well, and you suspect that it's the first well that was dug in the fort, the John Smith well, that yes. was dug under the command of John Smith. As a curator, when you hear that a well feature is being excavated, what do you think? What do you anticipate? Oh, well, the first, uh, at first blush, it's sort of like, oh, no, <laughs> because we know that it will be filled with material and a lot of material that's not so easy to deal with because a lot of it um, should be preserved organics that do not survive on a, in a dry context. But there are things like leather seeds, nuts, um, wood, handles of wooden tools, things that um, just rot away in the soil. When they're buried in a well below the water table, they're in what's called an anaerobic environment, which means um, there's no free oxygen to attack those things and make them deteriorate. So they come out intact, but you have to treat them immediately. You can't, if you just ignore them, they would deteriorate. So you have to keep them wet. Um, we keep them refrigerated until we can address them. And the best way to address organics is by freeze-drying, believe it or not. Um, we don't have the capability to do that. We don't have a freeze-dryer, but uh, the um, Conservation Department at Colonial Williamsburg helps us out with that. So we have a great partnership with them. So it's almost a blessing and a curse when you find something that's preserved in that anaerobic environment because you find things that otherwise would not have survived, but that they're real, they're real exactly. delicate that, to preserve. That's right. You know, they're, they're unusual things. Um, shoes. Um, in other wells, we found little, tiny little shoes from children, you know, so the first sort of sign of children. Because that's very hard to to tease out the presence of children just looking at the material culture. You know, we find things like toys, but what we would call toys, but to the culture, they would be things that could be traded to the Indians or little amusements for adults. So, but finding a shoe, you know, a tiny little shoe that has some wear on it, then you definitely know a child was present. When you say that you have to keep those items wet, how does that work in your lab? Um, well, things are rushed in immediately, and we put them in uh, polyethylene bags that are filled with deionized water um, so that each object will have its own environment. Um, unless it's really, if it's really huge, we actually have a fish tank <laughs> that we use for those kinds of things until we can see to them. And we actually have, from this well, we have a couple of uh, planks, perhaps parts of barrels or a ladder or something that was down next to a wooden barrel that had been used at the very bottom of the well. Tell me about why a barrel would be at the bottom of a well. Can you explain what, what that engineering was all about? Um, well, 
we often do find barrel wells in early contexts, and it's a fairly easy way to um, keep silt from getting into your water supply. So you dig your shaft and you place your barrel at the very bottom. So as you collect water, you're always dipping into that into the barrel, which because it has you know fairly porous sides, it's always going to um, absorb the the groundwater. Um, that's that's around it. So it's it's an easy way without having to line the shaft with a brick or as we found in the last well we dug, uh, they actually went to a lot of trouble to do uh, planking all the way around. It was a square shaped well, and they had they had made a a very intricate uh, shaft of wood. I got to thinking about the mud in the bottom of that well that you are digging out bucket by bucketful. Can you learn anything from that mud? I mean, that's 400 years old, too. Does it tell you about the soil conditions at the time, drought, salinity, anything like that? Um, with all our archaeological context, not just the well, we do take what's called soil samples. And um, that, that's done because you can find all kinds of things like um, insects, um, uh, microscopic um, seeds like we found in the last well, we found uh, some tobacco seeds, which was quite exciting because we know it, it would have it, the well dated to around the time when John Rolfe would have been experimenting with his tobacco. And if if we can do a DNA test on the seed, we can tell if it's his type of tobacco, what he was working on, or the Indian type of tobacco. Um, we're still working on that. We're, we hope we hope to be able to do that test. But um, soil samples are very very important, and um, we have a whole record of them from all over the site. The last well we dug, um, we uh, sent a sample off to a couple of experts. One was an expert in insects, and she found some the first instance in America of a certain type of wood-boring beetle. So we know that there's a lot of interest recently on ecology and their discussions about well how did how did these Englishmen sort of change the environment bringing their domestic animals um, and fencing off land and how did it just sort of change the whole pattern of life and so this is con contributing to that you know the first sort of insect life that would have an impact I want to talk a little bit about some of the artifacts that are found in the well. It sounds like it's an interesting mix of um, items from local Indians as well as items that the settlers brought. How do you interpret that um, when you're thinking about the relationship between the native people here and the settlers? We do see what appears to be a lot of intermixing in the early years. Um, a lot of Indian pottery, which is obviously being used to cook and, and consume meals. Um, that makes sense if you think about how far apart the ships are coming to Jamestown, and as people break their pots, they need replacement. But it also indicates to us the presence of Indian women, um, because they are the makers of pots in their culture. They're also the um, cultivators of the crops, and they're also the cooks. And so it makes sense that they might may be in the fort uh, fulfilling those functions for the colonists. We know that there are Indian men in the fort. That's recorded in the records. And they're hunting and fishing uh, with and for the colonists. And we have found evidence of um, one individual, uh, or perhaps more, making their native 
beads, they're uh, mussel shells, uh, Geokinsia demissa, they live in the marshes, the, the mussels, and they're um, making them into little disc beads, little round beads, and they grind out the center with a stone drill, which we also found in the fort. So it looks like someone's sitting there doing that while they're here. So it seems to me like if you're finding those um, Indian artifacts in the well alongside artifacts from the same time period from the colonists, that it, it, it sort of reflects good relations with the local Indians before those relationships were so badly spoiled that th there was absolutely no, no yes. cooperation between the two groups. Yes, I think so. And um, even though there was this chiefdom in, in the area, not all Indian groups were part of the Powhatan chieftain. And so there, we do have some Indians who are friendly longer than others. So it's not just like a uniform sort of uh, battle between the two groups. So it's, and that was, I think, part of part of the difficulty is not knowing exactly who your friends are and who your enemies are. As you're seeing the artifacts come back from the 169 well, what has been the most intriguing find that's made its way back to you? I think I, I really like the um, combination whistle and teething stick that came out because, again, it represents children. Well, it represents a baby, someone who's teething. Um, it's silver, and um, it's, it's a little whistle, and on the end of the whistle, there's a piece of pink coral. Um, this was thought to keep away the evil eye. It's supposed to have magical properties. And um, it was also used um, for, for babies, and for teething babies, to comfort them. And this was discarded in the top of the well. It's kind of a poignant thought that perhaps this represents one of those children. We know children came in 1609, um, or arrived in the fort in 1609. Uh, perhaps one had died, or died en route, or died soon after coming, and this was discarded. As you study all the artifacts that you find from this well and from, from the whole Jamestown site, what do you feel is, is the significance of, of their study? What can, what can we learn from these objects that were discarded? Well, before we started our project, um, Jamestown was pretty dead. Um, you know, Plymouth was able to take on the mantle of being really the start of our country. Um, there really was nothing, there didn't seem to be anything new to be able to say about Jamestown. I mean, people had culled through the records and um, put their interpretation on what had been left to us by the written word. And, and there really was no catalyst um, for a, a fresh look at Jamestown. And I, that's what I think the archaeology has really provided, that it's like finding a chest full of documents that you thought you'd lost forever, that you thought maybe had burned, they weren't around. Because if you can interpret the context correctly and understand the artifacts and how they were used, who made them, why they would have been here, how they would have been used here, which is sort of a, it's a lengthy process. It's all kind of putting all the pieces together at once. You can't just take one piece of that puzzle and make sense of the whole. You really have to be looking at everything and we change our minds in the process. Um, by doing that, I think that we have shed a, a, a sort of different interpretation on early life. We're kind of putting the people back in the picture, which they had been, you know, pulled out. And of course, you know, we have John Smith talking, but something, there's something very different about the, their tangible remains, you know, what they were using when they were here, how they were adapting it. We see modifications on their 
armor. Um, we see the types of guns they're using. Why aren't they using other types? You know, there are all kinds of questions that come up. And I think it's, it's quite exciting because um, we've only just begun to, to really look at this material and figure out what's going on. I think the, there'll be years and years of work that actually can go on with just the material we've excavated so far. I'm very excited about the future of Jamestown. Well, we are too. Bly, thanks so much for being with us today. Okay, thank you. That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. We like hearing from you. Send us a comment at history.org slash podcasts. Check back often. We'll post more for you to download and hear.